Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, September 16th, 2023. And our top story today, the stock market is ignoring evidence the economy is slowing. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Jane King is a financial journalist joining us from the NASDAQ. Jane, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Always great to be with you, Jeffrey. And uh, I guess we're a couple of weeks into September. Kids are back to school and the market yeah, is finally, <laughs> finally, I think a lot of parents probably feel that way, Jane. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about kind of the something that I'm looking at in the uh, not I'll call it the non-correlated trend between the stock market and some of the economic data. But I'll start with the S&P 500. I know, I know you're at the NASDAQ, so I don't want to bring, bring up a competitor, but the S&P 500 is up about 17 percent so far this year. But yet we hear retail sales and wholesale price inflation data going up. So I want to get your perspective on this. They're kind of divergent if you if you look at the data. Yeah, uh, the markets have been shrugging off this inflation numbers that we got this week. So both consumer prices and producer prices came in stronger. They show inflation headed back up. And if you've put gas in your car over the past six weeks, you know that, of course, housing has been high this entire time. Um, but uh, the markets have shrugged that off and it defies common sense because we know if inflation is on the way up, that means the Fed's going to raise interest rates. Maybe they think this is a temporary thing and it'll head back down here soon. I'm not sure um, how investors are digesting this. But uh, they've just kind of totally ignored these inflation numbers and just charged higher. Yeah, and and I, I want to go back to the the yield curve because that's something that has traditionally been a recession indicator. I think when the you know the long term rates are are kind of not as high as maybe they they could be relative to short term rates. Mm -hmm. And we've been talking. I, I feel like for with you, but with others for a long time that there's a recession on the horizon. And I guess, Jane, if you talk about it long enough, A, it's going to happen, but B, eventually it's going to happen. Right. I mean, yes, it's, you know, it's like a clock. You're going to be right twice a day at least. So, um, I mean, I remember last holiday season, which we're getting close to now, talking to people about, is there going to be a recession? Because they were, so it's almost a year. Um, that we've been talking about a mild recession. And we have not had that yet. Uh, maybe um, the gas price thing will be it. Um, we're seeing an awful lot of union activity over the past several months. So the UAW is now on strike. Um, Hollywood is on strike. The UPS have had a successful negotiation with their company. There's others uh, kind of lingering out there, Kaiser Permanente, talking about a strike as well. That's all inflationary. So maybe all of these things together will tip us over into a recession, but the market's been pretty resilient. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Jane, I wanted to end on the initial public offering discussion for a couple of minutes. Uh, it's been kind of a light year, I, I guess. And you're at yeah. the NASDAQ. You have a lot of great technology stocks and, and companies that are on the NASDAQ. So you're right there at the heart of the, I, I would call you IPO central. Where do, where do things stand with IPOs and bringing companies to market? Yeah, they mm -hmm. go through the venture component they get they build themselves up maybe there's some private equity and then eventually they want to go public because they, they want to have shareholders and make even more money so where does the ipo market stand today 
Yeah, well, it was interesting after the Arm Holdings IPO that we had Thursday, um, it feels a lot better. Um, that was, it's really been a quiet IPO market for almost two years now. Uh, 2021, ironically enough, was pretty active, even though we were in the middle of the pandemic, but there's a lot of kind of money sloshing around. Um, but things retreated last year, and I felt like this Arm Holdings was really the, we were like back in 2018 again or something. Uh, huge, um, very successful, up 25%. Instacart is supposed to be coming out with its IPO, and I believe has raised their expectations because of what happened with Arm Holdings. So maybe this will unlock things, um, but uh, we'll see how we can do it. But clearly a lot of demand, especially for companies like Arm that make chips and even some chips that can be used in artificial intelligence. Uh, and, and Jane, just to kind of tie it back to what we were talking about earlier, you don't want to bring a company to market if it's not a good economic or stock market condition, right? I mean, that's why we saw some of this this lull. So could that be another indicator? You know, we we're talking about the yield curve or, you know, the treasury rates, which I, which is the, typically defined as the yield curve, but could this be indicative of the other direction that we were talking about? This is the reason why the stock market is buoyed and you don't bring a company public unless you think things are going to be good economically. That's right. I mean, I've seen companies cancel their IPOs or delay them even the night before they're supposed to go public because it didn't price how they thought or the economy wasn't as strong as they thought. So they really up until, I mean, unless it's a really big one, um, up until the day, sometimes they'll delay it and not price at that point. Now, ARM is a little different. I mean, they make chips, you know, which are like used in everything. I mean, they make chips for all kinds of things and even have an AI component. Um, NVIDIA tried to merge with them. Um, that was, you know, not approved by regulators so they're, um, you know, they were kind of unique. I think it'll be more interesting if we can see some other companies in the non-chip AI sector also have successful IPOs. That'll be really telling. Yeah, we're going to keep watching that. Jane King, always a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Right, you too. Thanks, Jane. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. And we come back. We'll take a look at some of our best segments for the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings.
This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Invesco's latest Show Me the Income study reflects on the evolving retirement industry today as it faces the pressing need to help participants turn their defined contribution plan savings into long-term retirement income. Key findings from the research uncover that nearly 7 in 10 participants fear running out of money in retirement. And only 22% were very confident they could create a retirement income strategy on their own. What can employers do to help? To learn more about the study and request the white paper, visit Invesco.com slash retirement income or contact your Invesco DC professional. Cited research is based on Invesco's work with Greenwald Research. Invesco is not affiliated with Greenwald Research. Invesco Advisors, Inc. is an investment advisor that provides investment advisory and does not sell securities. Invesco Distributors, Inc. is the U.S. distributor for Invesco's retail products and private placements. Both are indirect wholly owned subsidiaries of Invesco Limited. Welcome back. This week, we discussed ensuring a smooth and safe record-keeping transition. Let's take a look. You know, um, on a day-to-day basis from a record-keeping standpoint, there's a lot of data movement in and out of uh, record-keeping organizations. And that's just part of the, the deal, so to speak. You know, payroll data is one, feedback files back to the sponsors and others. So you need to make sure that um, within the organization and you know within the transmissions, you're looking at security, defense, and depth, and that's a that's a big term that's used a lot within the uh, record keeping and other organizations as well that are dealing with PII data. You want to make sure that your endpoints are very secure, and endpoints could be on your network. You want to make sure that that your data in REST and your data in trans transit are all encrypted to make sure that. You know, bad actors, even if they get a hold of it, it's encrypted and it'd be difficult for them to uh, exploit it. Um, so you want to establish very um, uh, strong things like external firewalls, but internal firewalls as well, in order to protect everything that's sitting on your network. Um, beyond that, um, you know, we, we have to deal with uh, things like uh, denial of service. Now, Denial of service is becoming a big deal because bad actors, especially state-sponsored, um, are are looking to bang against your external uh, firewalls and your your systems like your participant web and sponsor web to try to gain access, and they're doing it in a brute force manner. And if if your firewalls are not up to snuff, they can um, they can get beyond that. But you want to have strong identification methodologies that. They go out there and see what IPs they're, they're coming from and deny them from, from getting to your web. And, and you, if, if the denial of service you know, attack starts, you start getting a ramp up of um, instances that are trying to be created against your, your external facing um, applications. And it can, it can cause a situation where your regular participants and sponsors and, and others that are trying to access can't do it because um, they're flooded with requests and, you know, your systems are only geared up to do so much volume and this can impact that um, desperately. The other things you want to make sure of is that, you know, zero day um, vulnerabilities as well as patching is done on a, a managed basis. Um, one of the biggest issues that we had in the past it was the log4j issue. It's sort of pervasive because 
not only your legacy applications that you developed internally, but the COTS packages had that. So the mitigation of that um, was very difficult to uh, uh, address. Um, it was zero days, so you had to do it immediately. So we almost had to stop everything just to address it. So you wanna be sure that you're monitoring um, things like CloudStrike and other uh, products that give you that information immediately, and then you have to act on it immediately. And then vendor monitoring and verification is also uh, important. There's been a lot of um, uh, articles in the in the news where you've had situations like Okta, unfortunately, um, had a penetration, and that had to be dealt with, you know, pretty quickly. A lot of firms use an Okta. And um, they had a penetration in through one client that allowed them access into others. Um, but there's, uh, you know, something that's near and dear to my heart is my information of recent got um, uh, spilled due to a, a product called Move It, and I, me and yep. other people received letters that uh, our information had gotten spilled. We don't know the extent to this point, but you know, it, at this at this point in time, we just know it's been exposed. I had a similar thing with OPM that was in the news as well. The Office of Personnel Management, where because I had security clearance and I had to go through them, that was spilled. But unfortunately, my wife's information was spilled and not mine. But um, but they provided uh, LifeLock for I think life for ten years or something like that for it. But that was a situation where they didn't have an internal firewall and. Um, Bad actors had sent uh, malware to an individual that happened to be a system administrator, and they got access to the internal systems through that. So there's a number of things that you need to cover. Uh, you need to make sure that phishing expeditions of, of that nature, you do the internal training and make sure that people are aware of this, the seriousness of, of what can occur if um, you, you become subject to a, a phishing expedition that they can then exploit. Uh, of that nature, but the defense in depth is what I'm talking about here is that you need to line up all those um, uh, different uh, security techniques and access levels to make sure that um, bad actors can't get in and, and exploit the information of your participants. You know, it used to be that you were using FTP and what's called PKI, um, um, uh, the personal key um, infrastructure, um, to make sure that uh, that information is secure in that manner. But but that was a long time ago that people were using FTP. More people are moving from SF to SFTP, uh, Secure File uh, Transport Protocols. And there's different systems and uh, tools nowadays that uh, are used to secure data. Um, they're point-to-point -point systems where, you know, it's peer-to-peer -peer and they, they do a handshake and they know that, you know, the data's coming. Um, you can drop data into a, a file zone in a DMZ and that information can be scanned to make sure that there's no executables in it and then um, reviewed to make sure that it's ready to be moved into the, um, the core environment where your data is. So there's a separation between the two. And then... You know, now that the cloud has become more prevalent, there's a lot of tool sets that are being used by those cloud providers, the CSPs. And I'll focus on AWS just because I've had more contact with that. I don't want to slight any other CSP, but 
from a um, AWS perspective, they have a, a lot of new tools, including what's called S3, which is used for movement of files between point A and point B in a, a secure manner. But they also, for the large scale uh, tr transitions that I was talking about earlier with billions of records, uh, AWS has a tool called Snowball. Um, it, it belongs in their Snow uh, tool set. I'll call it Snow tool setup. I may be mis- um, labeling that, but um, it can move terabytes worth of data. And uh, I've used that. Um, you connect it to your network. It's a it's like a, a, a rock hardened um, system. You use uh, AWS's um, uh, OPS hub to manage the data and transfer it from you know your network onto the, the solution. It, they use Fire, the you know their um, their book tool as actually the, the com for it. It's it's pretty interesting. And you know, when you're done and you want to send it, it, it prints out the uh, UPS uh, label and you use that to send it from point A to point B, but in a secure manner. Uh, it's really pretty interesting to use that solution, but it it locks down your data and even if even if somebody got a hold of it, they weren't gonna get anything out of it. I like talking about this stuff because I, I dance between the business and IT, but my, you know I've spent a lot of time on the IT side around this. And legacy system modernization is something you know I love to talk about because you always you know I think IBM said that there's a seven year cycle, but from a technology perspective, as it speeds up, it's it's becoming less and less than seven years. So um, uh, legacy system modernization is important because new technologies and new security methodologies don't don't necessarily apply themselves to uh, older um, legacy systems, especially the proprietary ones. And it gets harder and harder with tighter budgets to, to move it along, but the business has to be very focused on it. And as you mentioned, my, my colleagues had, had done a modernization stint, and I, I think it's well worth anybody um, that's listening to me now to go and take a look at that because I think they'll find some very valuable information. I, in, in addition to that, I'd say minimizing access to production data by internal resources. I mean, I've, I've heard situations and even um, from testimony about Twitter, where they said they had 4,000 people that had production access to data. And, you know, out of 7,000 employees, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. Um, nobody <laughs> has access to production data, uh, uh, especially not in that volume. But... Um, you know, by minimizing people that have access to the production data, it, you know, minimizes any kind of uh, malware or other type of attack um, where somebody could, uh, bad actors could get access to that data. I'd say also, you know, I talked about defense in depth, and that needs to be a mindset of all the people that are working um, in developing code, as well as, you know, the, the business side and how they're using that data once, you know, uh, we're generating reports and all kinds of other information that is going out to the business side for them to um, run the operation. And you have to be very careful about um, what they're doing with that. So you got to secure that and get their you know, sign off anymore that they understand the, the consequences of that getting out into the world. Um, encryption at rest and in transit uh, for all participant and plan data. I've talked about that before. That's a, you know, the, Years ago, that wasn't necessarily, you know, a, a big deal to follow, but um, of late, it is it is seriously something that um, that people are uh, looking at more and more that you have to have it done. 
um, the databases, um, as well as the transport mechanism. And then, you know, masking PII is important, um, more and more important. So when you call up anymore, you'll hear somebody say, well, can you give me the last four digits of the, your social security number? Well, that's because they can't see the first six. Um, so you want to you want to have an effort where you're masking data to keep it out of the um, to keep it out of the hands of even your internal actors because you know you have internal threats, not just external threats from that perspective. Efficient yeah. communication, as I mentioned before, and um, communication associated with that, you you want to make sure that um, very frequently you're you're having phishing tests that you you as an organization are are doing the phishing. Um, so that people become more aware when it's uh, coming from an external perspective. This is called um, making sure you're secure in your knowledge of what you're getting yourself into and what you're exposing your participant data to. Um, and, and it starts with the RFP and interview process uh, for any new record keeper that you're going to select. You want to make sure that you're asking the right questions and getting verifications as well as references from other um, uh, plan uh, plan sponsors that are using that record keeper um, for doing their um, defined contribution plans. I'd say conversations around the record keeper security strengths and weaknesses. You want to understand from an infrastructure and a, um, just an operational perspective what they think their strengths and weaknesses are, and you want to probe into that to make sure that you want you have a good understanding of 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 what that information they're providing means. Questions should include record keepers history around hacking incidents, vulnerability management, zero day vulnerability responses and incident response process and procedure. Uh, incident uh, process and uh, procedure is important because if something comes up, what are the SLAs and reaction times that you can expect um, if there is some type of breach or spillage from that record keeper? And then um, I'd say how the data is encrypted. Like I said, you know, over time, encryption has uh, picked up momentum. Um, we, I spent it in my uh, past life a lot of time where we were doing regular FTP within the environment and, you know, weren't securing it between endpoints within the environment. And we had, we switched over and started using secure FTP um, for everything within the environment, not just externally, but everything within the environment to try to lock down as much as we possibly could around uh, any kind of data risk internally. Um, and then, you know, what type of uh, SIM or SIM, I, I always I always get confused with those two, but one is SIM and one is SIEM. You know, there's, there's different tools out there. My history has been more with Splunk, uh, tracking that information, so it's, Security information management, security information event management. Um, you want to tie all your logs. Uh, you want to make sure that that they have a sim, as well as tying all the logs and information, and that that's scrutinized by a sim on a daily basis, and that alerts are produced from that sim that that uh, uh, actions are taken on, both from uh, IT, a business, and a security standpoint, and that. You know, there's SLAs around when it when when it detects something. What, what are you going to do? And that, that could include the the DDoS. It could include you know um, information that's being transferred that shouldn't go from point A to point B, but somebody's trying to do it. Things of that nature. And then lastly, 
How does the record keeper protect against internal threats, um, such as collusion um, or any other bad actor uh, scenarios? Is there separation of duties? How are those separ separation of duties handled so that internally you're as secure as external? And we also discussed retirees preparing for their third act. Let's take a look. Well, for a lot, retirement is time for your, your next act, your third act, if you will. Uh, you know, for many, if you can retire in your 50s, even into your early 60s, you've got a long ways to go, hopefully, if you have stayed engaged. And taking courses keeps your mind engaged. So even if you want to take classes just to get out um, for social engagement, to, for personal growth, to keep your, your, your brain working, it's a great idea. And there are many opportunities. But you know, for a lot, it's a chance to take what they've learned over a lifetime and apply it to something a little bit different, whether that's consulting, it's a whole new field, uh, you know, whatever it might be. And a lot of times you need education for that. Uh, and again, it could be new learning. It could just be enhancing your computer or social media skills. So you might need a certificate program. You might just need some non-credit classes or you might go for a whole brand new degree. When I see people out and about, you, you will find that looking at different opportunities. I think particularly coming out of the pandemic, uh, some folks who worked in an office and, and felt like they needed to come back and maybe didn't want to, or they got used to having a more flexible lifestyle, have thought about, well, how might I make that happen? And, uh, you know, so that you have some opportunities. What we've been talking about for a long time in 529 programs, and I try to tell everybody, everyone should have a 529 account. Just keep it for forever. Start it when you're young. Um, whether you have kids or not, you may want to go back to school yourself. If you have kids, you can change the ownership. If you don't end up using it for those children or, you know, you go through life, you bring it back in and use it for yourself. Uh, you know, so there's just a lot of flexibility there and you just never know. And, you know, we saw this during the recession back in, in you know, the late aughts. Um, you know, you've seen, seen a little bit during the pandemic. Just life interrupts sometimes at whatever age you are. You could be in your 40s and realize where I am is a dead end. Uh, that job has gone away. Um, you know, everyone's freaking out a little bit these days about AI and how that's going to impact employment. And so, one, you might want to take some classes to understand what is artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, the different uses for it, uh, and how that might impact you and how you can make sure that you can incorporate that into your future. So, the possibilities are endless and having an opportunity to plan and save for it. And that's obviously where a 529 comes in. You know, some of the things I've read about this are, you know, seniors are taking out loans to go back to school. And uh, you know, every time I read that, I go, just if you'd started that 529, you know, once the kids were out of school, just keep putting a little bit of money in for yourself. You just never know when you might be able to use it. Uh, you know, you've got some opportunities. And, and now with the Roth rollover opportunities that are coming in 2024, again, tying retirement to education savings, you've got more opportunities as well. The majority still of our accounts are, are for those, our families, are for adults with younger children who are planning for their futures. But we're seeing a little bit of an uptick in that. I think we are seeing people hold on to their accounts. I mean, if they don't spend them entirely, and I think we've always had that. And you know, we, we, we do plot out where we, we can see the trajectory. And 529 accounts, you know, historically have been used the way they, I think they were intended. Uh, you know, there's always been this thought, oh, people are just gonna use them for the tax advantages. 
don't see that happening. They, they use it because they want to plan for education. So you see a steady climb if you have a beneficiary who's a child. And when they reach age 18, they start to use it. But it also plateaus out. And you can look at 21, 22, 25, and there's still money in those accounts frequently. You know, they don't, it doesn't just all, the way go, all of a sudden go down to zero in all of those accounts. So that tells me that people are using them differently. Maybe they're holding on to it because they had a child that got a scholarship, but they know they want to go to grad school. And of course, you can use your 529 account for graduate school. I think that's the nice thing. And, and the word we're trying to get out to folks at any age, you can use your 529 account for a, a wide variety of educational options. It's not just for bricks and mortar, four-year education. Right. It can be used for certificate and credential programs. It can be used, uh, you know, even for some non-credit courses if there's a, if a cost. You don't get all of the um, other deductions like for room and board right now unless you're in a, a degree program and, and taking a certain number of hours. But the, the cost themselves, and again, for seniors, there's some really nice options. Uh, I've been learning a little bit about it. There are a lot of sort of non-credit options. What is it? The Osher... Um, Lifelong Learning Institute, which is in, I think, 125 universities. I know George Mason in Virginia is one of them. I believe UNC, the UNC system participates and just provides opportunities to take a lot of interesting courses at a very reduced cost for seniors. Um, a lot of colleges also make the application process easier for seniors and have some tuition waivers and grant programs for seniors as well. Um, so as with everything, no matter what age you are, you should do your research. Uh, you know, find the best opportunities for you, find a program that works for you. If you have a 529 account, so if you've been saving, you've got some money set aside, that's just a bonus, right? That really helps. But there may be other ways that you can make it, again, really affordable and something that will really boost you into, into your future. And, you know, I, I know the older I get, I push out what I think is old um, every year. It goes, oh, well, let's see, maybe 90 you're starting to get, you know, really it gets to be a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty much out there. So you've got a lot of time after most people retire to have a really nice and interesting life you know, I, I taught at the college level. I have been involved in education my whole life. So I love it. The opportunity to take classes, to keep learning is really important. You know, I do a lot of just continuing education myself. I go to a lot of conferences now as a working adult. And I love that. I love to sit in the classroom and have people impart information to me or be able to discuss new ideas. Um, it's just a great way to stay engaged uh, and to stay up to date on things and, and to really have a better life, no matter what age you are. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line and don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more all in one place. Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, then visit our website. We're back again tomorrow with another edition of BRN Sunday. We'll be joined by the Legal Eagles and Oliver Rennick of the Schwab Network. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving. Don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic 
on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.